If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Romans today. Uh, this Advent season, we're moving through uh, some of the letters, what some of the letters, the uh, epistles have to say about um, this Jesus. Uh, and so uh, we have talked, been in Romans twice and in James last week, and then we're going to finish up Advents in Romans 1 today. Romans 1. That's uh, a letter. Um, it's one week from Christmas. Um, this time of year, I like to think about um, some of the best gifts I've ever gotten. I like to rank them through the years. That's how I know who to buy for. People who please me. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, I like to... Uh, it just comes to mind, right? Um, one of the best, 1996, maybe 97, I can't remember, it was a long time ago. Uh, the girl I was dating at the time uh, bought me for Christmas, we hadn't been dating that long, bought me for Christmas a brand, a Nintendo 64. It was like the first, like that was brand new. Not only did she buy an N64, she bought me an extra controller, which just shows such foresight. Like, like, because it comes with one, and like, like, you, like you immediately, you're like, ah, like, she bought two controllers and two games. The, the, the newest Madden and uh, a snowboarding game called uh, 1080. I, I remember it well. Uh, it was probably one of the, be- it was so unexpected, it was one of the best gifts I ever got. Uh, I ended up marrying her. Uh, um, which sounds like a sweet story until you realize that I haven't gotten a good gift since 1996. So. Uh, no, but it, it's, it's, I'm okay with the anticipation. I, I enjoy that part of it, especially in a world where so much anticipation is gone. You know, like we, everything is so immediate. Uh, I'm okay with the anticipation and thinking about gifts as long as that, that doesn't become the primary thing. But it's just an exciting week. But we still are in this season of Advent, this season of thinking about what it means to live our entire lives as Christians in between the two comings of Jesus. Uh, once at his birth, which we are getting ready to celebrate, and, and then once again at the end of this age, when this time of overlap, right? When this, this season overlaps of overlap is gone and all that left is the age of the kingdom of God. Uh, and so that's what we're, we're thinking about and talking about this morning. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to jump right in because uh, I really only have a single thing this morning. It's not even really a point. Uh, it's just a, uh, it's a, it's a plea, right? It's a plea. Uh, that's all I have for you this morning. Romans 1. It's the very beginning of the letter. Paul writes this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it just sounds like an intro to a letter because that's what it is, but the problem is, is that there's so many like just little phrases and, and things that he's doing in here. As a matter of fact, this is really probably one of two places that Paul defines what the gospel is. 
right? He does it also in 1 Corinthians. Um, he kind of sums it up for us, what it, what it even means to, we talk about this, the gospel every single week. And not only that, there's all these phrases, and it's just, it's just this beautiful, beautiful passage. Um, I think I've told you guys before, if not, uh, it's, it's okay for me to confess again. Uh, I, the worst time for me to preach, uh, the worst, the absolute worst, the, the time that I hate the most, or the hardest for me, I should say, I don't hate it. I hate preaching. It's a terrible thing to say out loud. Uh, the thing that's hardest for me, though, uh, Christmas and Easter. And here's why. Because I'm a terrible, terrible sinner. Like, I realize this. That Christmas and Easter roll around every single year and remind me of the sin in my heart of wanting to impress you by telling you something new that you've never seen before. And Christmas and Easter reminds me, what, what, what are you going to tell them that's better than Jesus came in flesh and then died and rose again? Like, you're not going to... You gonna, you gonna top that, Chris? Like, no, I, I can't. So this time of year, it's always this, this reminder of this humility uh, of in what I do to like, hey, one of the things that we do here is tell ourselves, each other, through the songs we sing, through the scripture that we read, through what we say when we preach, to remind each other and encourage each other of the same thing over and over and over again because we have such a tendency to be distracted, to, such a tendency to be pulled in all these different directions. To just, I just wanna talk about the fact that Jesus came in flesh. That's what this is. Paul declaring in his letter, reminding them of this thing called the incarnation. That God became king in flesh and that was always his plan. He says all of that and much more right here in this just like, hey, I'm Paul, nice to meet you. This is a letter uh, writing to the church in Rome. So verse one and verse seven are kind of like the two in the from, right? Verse one, Paul a servant of Christ Jesus. So Paul is introducing, we know from the rest of the letter that Paul's never met these people. So Paul's introducing himself. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, sorry, apostle, apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand. And then in seven, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have this simple to and from. And in introducing himself, Paul says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. What, what a great, what a great description. What a great intro. Um, a great description of himself. Because Paul's kind of a big deal. Um, right? He's written all these letters, and he's done all this stuff. He's, he's gone on these missionary journeys. He's done all of these things for Jesus. And, and his tendency, I think that maybe our tendency would be like, Paul, the guy you heard about, right? Paul, the guy who did all of these things. Hey, I used to be this thing, and God, he doesn't do any of that. He introduces himself. Hey, Paul, you know who I am in my core? I'm a servant of Jesus. I, I, I would, I, I, don't worry about all the things I've done. I only did those because Jesus told me to. Paul, a servant of Jesus. And here's why that, I think that's kind of significant and interesting, uh, because uh, uh, Bob Dylan was right. You got to serve somebody. I know I mention it all the time because it fascinates me and interests me, and, and, and I find it interesting that, Paul, that Bob Dylan wrote a song, You Got to Serve Somebody. It, it might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. He's just stating, I love that, that he caught in this song this absolute universal truth that part of being human means that you serve somebody. I remember when, um, for me, uh, one of the things that stands out most in my mind uh, is, uh, as an example of this, is uh, in high school. I decided and said out loud my senior year of high school, I've, I, you know, I, I've always been kind of an outsider and because, you know, I was on the math team and not many popular kids on the math team in my high school. I don't know about yours. Uh, but I decided, you know what? I'm going to be, pop- whatever it takes to be popular, I'm going to do it. Decided it. Said it out loud. I'm going to do it. I'm going to fight for it. And then I started 
being around the right people, going to the right places, saying the right things, acting a certain way, just to move into these circles that I wanted to be in, to be accepted and to be happy. And I realized, looking back after all that I did, that all I really did was serve that group of people. I just did what they told me to do. I acted the way they told me to act, said the things they wanted to say. I just made them my boss. Gross. And then I grew out of that, except that I didn't. I just found somebody else to serve. Another thing to serve, another piece, uh, another, 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 next step to serve. Uh, and so the, you know, the classic examples are, you know, money and people, kids, right? We have kids and we grow up and, and, and we think we end up kind of just giving our lives to serve them or serve a relationship or, or, or we, we're going to serve something because we, we just need, we need somebody to serve. It's how we are. We will put something at the center of our life. Here's how you can tell, I think, one of the ways that maybe you can tell, an indication of what you serve. What do you think about if there ever is any quiet in your life? When you're by yourself and alone with your thoughts, what comes into your head? And we give ourselves to that. And the answer today, the thing that the push is for most of us is you, me, I serve me. Whatever I can do today to make me happy. That's who I ended up serving later in college. I was like, you know what? I'm not happy. I'm gonna do everything that I can to make myself happy. And I, I committed to a six-month program to getting up every day and doing what would make me happy. And, and this is a true story. I, maybe it wouldn't happen to you, but true story. What happened to me after six months? I was the most miserable I'd ever been in my entire life. I, I, I don't wanna make that like, uh, you know, uh, that, that necessarily was your story, but it was certainly my story, that I got up every single day, that all of the things that I thought, this is what's gonna make me happy, and I just found myself, just, there's one more step, one more thing right out there, and I was exhausted, and I was tired, and I was confused why all of the things that I was doing, which I looked around, and these people were doing, why am I still miserable? And I was serving myself. Here's what I found as I continue to find myself slipping back into the center of my life. I am poorly qualified to be the center of my life. I'm poorly qualified. Not only am I a terrible servant, I'm a terrible master. Uh, I, all of the th- I think the reason that my life feels like it's constantly pulling me in a thousand directions is because I'm not supposed to be in the middle of it. And as it spins around me and I make the universe spin around me, of course it pulls me apart. I'm not the sun, you know? I'm not built for that. And so I constantly feel ripped in a thousand directions. And Paul has figured out this secret. I'm going to serve somebody. You know who it should be? It should be Jesus. That's who I've decided I'm going to serve. I'm just going to give myself to this one. So Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, this Messiah, called to be an apostle. So I've been called. He has this calling on his life. Uh, God's, Jesus has told him that he's going to do this. An apostle, uh, it's a title, like he's one of the, the, the apostles, but also it just means sent one. God set me apart to be one of the ones that he sends. Set apart for the gospel of God. I've been set apart for this gospel. And then he begins to explain what this gospel is. I've been set apart for this good news, right? The gospel means good news, uh, good announcement. Uh, Here's what he says what the gospel is, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in Holy Scripture. So the good news that he's telling people about, the announcement that he's telling people about, the gospel of God, is something that's written down. It's something that exists in Scripture. 
is the summation of God's promises. And then he says in verse three, it's concerning his son. These promises all concerned his son. We are, we say this a lot at this church, that we're kind of a Luke 23 church. Luke 23 is this past story of Jesus has died and he's crucified, he's been crucified and he died and he rose from, from, the, from the dead and people are still trying to figure out what's going on because you know that's not normal, like when one of your friends rises from the dead. And so they're trying to figure out what's happening. There's these two guys walking down the street and for some reason they don't recognize that Jesus starts walking with them and he begins to talk to them and, and he's like, hey man, why, why the long face? And they don't recognize him. They're like, dude, have you not heard? This guy, Jesus, who was like incredibly powerful, like he died, like he was crucified and they killed him and like, but people that we know, people that we know and trust are saying insane things like he rose from the dead and Jesus begins to teach them. He says he opens up the scriptures and he shows them how it all had to do with him. Unbelievable. That's the kind of church we are. We just happen to believe one of our approaches to scripture is this whole thing points to Jesus. It's all about him. And that's what Paul says here. We didn't make that idea up. Idea. Jesus taught it. Paul says it, confirms it here. Uh, not that Jesus needs people to confirm what he says, but you know. Uh, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture about his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. Part of the promises that you see in the Old Testament. Uh, well, you know, it goes all the way back to Genesis, right? In Genesis 3, there's this promise that God is going to deal with all of the brokenness, all of the sin, all of the rebellion that enters the world through disobedience. He says, I'm going to deal with all of this through the descendant of this woman, which, by the way, to me, is one of the weirdest things in all of Scripture, right? There's this, these two who have sinned, who've rebelled, Adam and Eve, they've rebelled, and God steps in in the rebellion and says, I'm going to fix everything through you. What? Why not pick two more? These two have already messed up. Why not just start over from the beginning? Nope, I'm committed to my plan to doing something creative in my creation through these people, through humans, and I'm committed to it, and I'm gonna fix it through them. Unbelievable. It says through the descendant of this woman, he will deal with the, the, the sin that brought into the world. Unbelievable. So you have that promise, and here you have Jesus coming in the flesh. According to David, God is dealing with what happened through the descendants of these two sinners, somehow working, bringing the perfect one into the world. God comes in flesh. This is the story of Christmas. That God has come and arrived in flesh, fulfilling the promise of Genesis 3. Also, there was a promise to Abram that he's going to be a blessing to the whole world. You see this in Jesus. That he comes and the Gentiles begin to flow to, to him. Also, this promise to David that he's always going to have a descendant sitting on the throne forever. A human descendant of David sitting on the throne forever. And you see this in Jesus. It's all these promises that God has made all wrapped up in this one Jesus who has arrived in the incarnation. It's this mind-blowing way that God is moving in history to do the thing that he promised he was going to do. Who descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God. So not just that he was from the flesh, declared to be son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So he says this, he says, not only was this Jesus a descendant by the flesh of David, fulfilling all of these promises that were talked about in the Old Testament, he also, we could see and verify that he was also God's son, the son of God, because of this. He rose from the dead. People don't do that. But we have this confirmation in his resurrection that he was who he says he was. He did what he said he was going to do. He rose from the dead, so we see that he is not just human, but he is divine. God himself in flesh. This is a beautiful and marvelous thing. It's an amazing story, and this is how Paul opens up his letter. This is what the gospel is. It's this almost political announcement that there's a new king. 
As a matter of fact, this, this word gospel, um, it shows up outside the Bible. I, I think I just, I just thought that was like a, like a, a Jesus, Jesus-y word, I guess, growing up, that gospel was like, but it wasn't. It's like, it actually appears other places. Uh, there's this example uh, in, here, I wrote it down. Uh, where is it? Oh, the calendar of Prian. I don't know what that is, uh, but there's this birthday announcement for Caesar Augustus. It's a royal announcement for his birthday, and here's what it says. Uh, Since providence, uh, treating providence like a god, right? It's a god. Uh, Since providence, which has ordained all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus. I'm sure he had a hand in writing this. Uh, Giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving the posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings of the world that came by by reason of him. That good tidings is the word gospel in the announcement. It's the gospel of Caesar. It's this announcement to the Roman world that we have Caesar, and Caesar surpassed our greatest hopes, and Caesar has brought peace, and Caesar has saved us from all of the chaos, and Caesar's done this and this and this and this. It's this huge announcement. Hey, guys, good news. Caesar is here, and he saved us. But here's the thing about this, right? How did Caesar save by way of amassing armies and might and power and going killing a bunch of people. He brought about the peace of Rome, very famous phrase, uh, uh, the Pax Romana, something like that. Anyway, don't worry about it. Uh, he, brought, uh, he brought peace, but he brought peace by dominance and power. That was the, that's what they claimed was the good news. But here's the deal, that's only good news for some people. It's not such good news for the people that were outside Rome that got killed. It wasn't so good for the people that were still poor and still hurting. And it's into this world who thinks this way that the writers begin, that Jesus begins to speak about the good news of God, the peace that God brings, the salvation that God brings. It's not just available to the Romans, but it's available to everybody. And here's the thing that's amazing to me. While Caesar brings the peace and all of this that he claims to have brought, while he brings all of this, he brings it by power and domination. Jesus brings it by death and and humility. It's a total different way of thinking about how the world's supposed to be. And I think that's one of the things that we have to wrestle with as Christians living in the in-between is that the way of the world, the way that seems to make sense, the way of power, the way of assertion is just not the way of Jesus. It's just so contrary to the way that I want to deal with the world to enter into the world and die to myself. But that's exactly what we've been called to in the in-between. To set aside the things that I could take by force and instead enter into relationships willing to lose so that life could grow? Unbelievable. But do you see how much better that is for everybody, a message for everybody, not just those who can lay hold of what Caesar might bring them in his limited hyperbolic statements about the peace that he brought, but to everybody, and not just peace with each other, but peace with God himself. It's much more far-reaching and brought about in a much, much different way. It is amazing. 
So here's this. There's this announcement, this proclamation that this is who God is. That God's done what he said. The way that he did it was mind-blowing. Not the way that Caesar did it, but the way that he did it instead was that Jesus Christ came. We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all of the nations including you who belong to Jesus Christ. So there's this amazing thing available. We've received grace because of what he's done. So there's the gospel, this announcement, this almost political announcement that Jesus has become king, the descendant of David, that he's ascended on high, and this is the new reality. This is the new proclamation announcement. This is the good news that Jesus has done it and the way that he's done it and brought grace and peace to all of us. But here's the interesting thing about this. This is the light brought into the world, right? Turns out, not everybody sees it as good news. There's this amazing story, uh, um, a Christmas story. I'm sure you're familiar with it, if you're familiar at all with, with the Christian tradition. Um, but in Matthew 2, Matthew tells us this story about the Magi. Uh, It says that Jesus was uh, born in Bethlehem of Judea, and in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or or magi, uh, people of affluence or influence, possibly education, uh, from the west, possibly Babylon, um, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And, and they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, And they fell down and they worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Being warned in the dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You've heard this story. It's an amazing story. I love it so much. Uh, This year, as I was thinking about it and studying about it and and we were talking about it uh, to to some friends, uh, it just struck me what 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 a bizarre situation this is. You have these people, these magi, these people of wealth probably and an influence that have come from the east. You have these Gentiles coming. Why? Because a star has risen and they've seen it and they're attracted to it. So they're coming to see this, this king and they, they somehow know God has told them in some mysterious way that this means something important has happened, that a king has been born. So they've come to visit this king. So you have the Gentile nations flowing to this child just like the Old Testament promised. And then they arrive to where the child is and the heir is. And they arrive to the Jews, to Jesus was born through this line that, 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 uh, that Paul talks about. And he's born to this line, so they arrive there and they find the political ruler at the time is Herod. Herod was part Jewish, but he was not. He's primarily a, a Roman ruler, a Roman authority. And we find him here. And he, they come and they say, listen, we've heard that there's a king in Rome. And, and uh, Herod, the king, the one who actually has power at the time, goes, this is news to me. I would like to know more about this supposed king. 
And, and so you have them, and so he goes and he talks to the, uh, the uh, chief priests and the, author, the, the authorities of the religious part, uh, of the Jewish part of the, of the world at that time. And he's like, hey man, where's this kid supposed to be born? And they're like, Bethlehem. There's prophecies that he'll be born in Bethlehem. So you have all of these power structures at play. And at the center of all these power structures is this child, this baby born, a child and yet a king. And, 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 and the nations have come to him. You have the powers and the political authorities that are, that are concerned about this. And you have the religious authorities who are concerned about it as well because, because the political authorities are concerned about it. And you have all of these things at play. And what you find out is that the good news that the light has come into the world wasn't good news for everybody. How about this? Let me say it this way. This is a better way. Not everybody on whom the light has shined sees it as good news. It's divisive. At this time of year, we talk about the light shining in the darkness. We think about this at Advent. We see the lights. I love it so much. Uh, I love the candles. I love all the things. Because it's this reminder that light has shined into the darkness. But here's the other reminder that, that I just always have to, have to remind myself to meditate on. It's not good news for everybody, and there's parts of my heart that it's not good news for. There's parts of my heart that don't hear it as good news. There's parts of my thinking and my feeling that do not hear it as good news. Uh, there's a story in Luke 2. Uh, uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Here it is, Luke 2. One of the interesting stories of Jesus' birth. So Jesus has been born, and he's going uh, to be presented in the temple and there's this guy, it's just a fascinating story, this guy named Simeon, who was super ra- uh, re- religious, he was devout, uh, and uh, God had told him in this mysterious way that he wouldn't die till he saw how God was going to save Israel. Really cool story to think about. Uh, anyway, so he's hanging out in the temple praying, uh, and then Jesus shows up. They show up to dedicate Jesus, this baby, and he came, uh, Jesus uh, came in the spirit in the temple, and when, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus uh, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, so they see Jesus walk in, and Simeon, who's been waiting, runs up and says, give me that baby, and he grabs that baby, and he's all excited, and he says this, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace. He says, I can die now. It's in this baby that you're going to save your people. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all the people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. What an amazing statement about this kid. Most anybody ever said about my kid was like, man, he's so cute. Which is true, he was. But a light to the nations? Unbelievable. This is the salvation in this child? Unbelievable. The father and his mother marveled at what had been said about him. Listen to this. And Simeon blessed them and said to, mother, said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The shining of the light into the world ends up being a divisive thing. He says he's the light to the nations, this amazing thing, and they're marveling, and he turns to look to Mary and goes, it's going to pierce you to your own soul. Many people are going to rise, and many people are going to fall because of this child. And here's why. Here's what, I, here's what, what you see when you look at the story and, and why this is. Why could the light, why could this good news, why could this amazing announcement be pushed back? Why would it not be good news to everybody? And here's why. Because if power is working out pretty well for you, you don't want to hear there's a different power in town. 
I mean, if the system's working for you, if you're Herod, right? If you have authority and it's working pretty well for you, you don't want to hear that there's a challenge to your authority. The problem is, is that for us, for you and me in the world that we live in, we kind of live in this delusion that we have the absolute power and authority, that we're the ones that are supposed to be center. So this light of Jesus shining into my life is an absolute challenge to my sovereignty over my own life. I mean, this is America, right? It's America. Freedom. We want freedom for everything. I want to do everything. I want to determine everything about my life, right? We've kind of misunderstood what I think that was supposed to mean, and, and we misunderstood how, how, how that's supposed to be good, because Jesus steps into our life and says, freedom, what are you talking about? You're a servant. And I know that I'm mixing political and, and, and uh, personal things. I, I get that. But, but we do have the attitude. We, we, it has moved from, like, we live in a nation of laws that allow us to be free citizens to thinking that we have free control over everything that we do as individuals. And if you are a Christian, Paul says, that is definitely not the way to joy. If you are a Christian, he says, that's definitely not the way to deep personal fulfillment. If that's the way, it's, if, 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 if you are a follower of Jesus, that is certainly not it. That is just an idol that needs to be destroyed so that you can know him. Here's the thing. Here's the whole point. All of that that I just said was to encourage you to this right here. I want you this week, please, I'm begging you, to find some quiet. I know that there's gifts you haven't bought yet. I know you can't top a Nintendo 64, but I know that there's things that you have to do. There's, there's meals that have to be planned. There's work that has to be done. I know I'm begging you to find some time to be still and to be quiet and to reflect on this. That the good news is a person. It's not some kind of principle. It's not some kind of idea. It's not some kind of thing that we can lay hold of. And if we just put this program in place, then we will find joy and happiness. The path to joy, the path to deep fulfillment is actually a person that we serve with our hearts, that we serve with our minds, that we serve with our feeling, with all that is in us. The path to joy is knowing this person. Now, of course, he gives us principles to live by, but those aren't the way to him. It's in relationship to him that we see that these principles that he gives us to live by are just ways of knowing him better, ways of understanding him, ways of being closer to him. I want you this week, I'm begging you to find moments, 15 minutes in the morning, stop at lunch, set a timer for 15 minutes, and to read the stories of Jesus that we have in the gospels that tell us what he is like. Because here's what I want you to know. If this is a dark season for you, like Christmas is for a lot of people, I want you to know that Jesus knows. He's a person. He was human according to the line of David. He had humanity. He understood loss. He understood loneliness. He understood pain and he understands suffering. He understands you. That is unreal. Read those stories and be comforted that he's not left you alone, that he is not unaware, but that he is working so that even these painful things one day are working for your glory. It's beautiful. He is a person, but he's not just human. He's also divine. And you look at the stories of what he's done, and you need to know this. He has the power. He has the authority. He is ruling, and he is going to bring to pass all of the things that he says. Yes, we are celebrating his first arrival, but never forget he's promised to come again in power to fix everything, to wipe away every tear. Death will be no more in this season when we know that there are people that should be with us that aren't. 
One day he's going to fix all those things. This is the beauty of this season, a light shining in the dark. And so when you consider these things, this is what I want you to do. This is the question I'm begging you to ask yourself this week. Where are the places that this is good news? That the light has shined in the darkness. Where is that good news in your heart? And then do the hard work of finding out if there's places in your heart where it's bad news. Let me me give you an example. It's good news in my life because I am a person who needs purpose and meaning. At the end of that six-month period I told you about where I just did everything I could to make myself happy, I found myself, I remember the moment, which is weird because I don't remember many things in, in, in my past, but I was sitting there and I was just sitting, I remember where I was, I woke up and I was sitting on the end of my bed and I remember thinking this, I remember very clearly thinking this, how can this be the way? How can this be what, even, even if I was able to have made myself happy after six months, fulfilled, find deep joy, find purpose, even if I was able to by pursuing my own, by pursuing pleasure, if, even if that was it, how could that be the whole point of life? How could that be it? How could that be meaning? How could that be worth living for? And I remember just being, dead Russian authors say it this way, uh, it's like staring into the abyss and the abyss staring back. It was awful. And remembering that there has to be. So the light shining into my life, it's such good news because it means there's purpose. It means there's meaning. It means that relationships matter. It means there's a reason that Zeppelin IV moves me the way it does, right? Or the Messiah, sorry, my bad. I forget where it was. The Messiah moves me the way it does because it is designed and it is beautiful and there is purpose and meaning. And that light shining into my heart gives me such hope and joy for this whole creation that there's all these promises. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Also, it reveals my control issues. I, the light shines in my heart. When, um, which is an interesting thing about having a, a son. I think that I'd reached a place in my life when I was kind of okay with whatever God did to me. Yep, I'll follow you. Whatever you ask of me, I'm gonna follow you, Jesus. And then I have a son, and I'm like, but you best not hurt my kid. Like, I saw Jesus as worthy uh, of doing whatever he could to me, but it was my job to save my kid and protect my kid. Like, he somehow wasn't qualified to do that as well. And you realize that you have control issues. (laughs) That somehow I think I'm better qualified to protect my son than Jesus is. And the light shines into my dark and says, you don't have control over that either. And I rage against that part of the light that says, you have to release control over that. You will only be able to love your wife. You will only be able to love your son the way that I want you to, the way that it's the best for them when you understand how deeply I love them. When you put me first in your heart, only then will you be able to love them the way that you need to. When our loves are ordered rightly, It is great news in all parts of my heart. And when I have to fight those places and let God's light shine in there, that's the only way that when we let these places in our heart that are darkness that we push back, when we let the light shine, it's the only way that ever gonna find joy and peace and patience and mercy and goodness and kindness growing there. Is when we let the light shine into even the dark places. So I'm begging you this week, all of this to say, All of this to say, God has come. He 
completed his purpose to work through humanity, to be a king, to have a throne, a king of David on the throne forever, and Jesus reigns now, and we are waiting for the season uh, to end uh, that overlaps the season of the kingdom of God, and to see him come in his full power, and, and for the kingdom to invade everything, and, and while we wait, I'm begging you to just find time to be still and reflect on the beauty and goodness that there is a God who desired so much to enter into relationship with you that he became flesh and dwelt among us. And then to also reflect on the places in your heart that you don't think it's good news and begin to turn those over to him as well. It's a perfect week to do this. But also remember, we live our entire lives in the season of Advent. It is the Christian life, letting the light shine into our hearts and our thinking and our feeling and expose where we do not trust. Our greatest sin, whatever it is, it's, all, it's always going to end up being unbelief. There are places in our heart what I don't believe that God can control. That there are places in my heart that believe that God doesn't want good for me. There's places in my heart that believe that he doesn't really love me like I think he should. And when we look to the scriptures, it reveals the darkness that is in my heart and that he does love me. I just don't understand sometimes. And he does care and he does provide and he is doing all of these things. It's just my, my vision is so limited. But a light has shined in the dark and shown us the way. I'm begging you this week for your own good to celebrate it, but also to let it examine Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you are a light shined in the darkness that we may know you. We thank you for the amazing, amazing mystery of the amazing beauty of the incarnation, of God become flesh and dwelling among us. Who could have seen that coming? Who could have possibly imagined that this is the way that you were going to accomplish your purposes? It's unbelievable. All of history leaning forward to this moment when God humbles, enters the world in a humble way, leaving aside, Jesus leaving aside all that he could have had, all that he deserved to pursue us. This is what you were like. You were a God who is long-suffering. You were a God who pursues. May we see your goodness so that our hearts are opened that we may not fear that you don't love us enough, that we may not fear that you don't want good for us. We may open our hearts to all of the places, to all of you, because there is not an inch of creation or an inch of my life over which you have not commanded, demanded lordship. The dark places, just shine your light. The places that I resist you, overcome. And even if it's painful, that we may know joy, that we may know peace, not through power and might, but through surrender. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.